one born in this millennium has a better than evens chance of living to age 100. Even if you're 60, there's a good chance you'll live past 90. Yet most of the financial advice we see is based around a time when people live shorter lives and it hasn't aged well and is probably wrong. The Century Plan looks at the financial decisions needed to maintain a comfortable lifestyle where your money outlives you and not the other way around. I'm Dennis Hall, I'm a Chartered Financial Planner and I've been giving people financial advice for almost 40 years. And I'm Sarah Steele, I work with Dennis and I'm here to ask questions on behalf of you, our listeners, and to keep things on the right side of technical. Welcome to episode 9 of the Century Plan. Um, today we're going to be talking about costs and fees. And, and charges. Yes. And charges, yes. Um, well, this is because last week we went back to basics. Where do we start? Who do I choose to work with? And we touched on costs then. Um, and we said we'd talk a bit more about it today. Okay, we did. Now, when I look on different websites at financial planners, I can see there's a whole host of different types of costs and charges, and I find it slightly confusing. So what are the different types of fees I'm likely to encounter when I engage a financial planner, Dennis? Well, I agree with you. It can be confusing because they've all got different names and sometimes they mean the same thing. But you've got advice fees, servicing fees, contingent fees, implementation. Sometimes they're expressed as percentages. Sometimes they're expressed as pounds and pence. Financial planning fees, hourly rates, fixed rates, portfolio management fees. It's confusing. Yeah. There are, however, I think, three stages to the financial advice side of things. And I keep that quite separate to the actual managing money, portfolio um, sort of um, recommendations and advice, who's actually managing the, the funds and, and such like. So there's an initial stage, in, in, certainly in the work that I do. This is the part where you're meeting a client for the first time or maybe for an annual review and you're gathering all that information that you've had before and you want to look at what it is that somebody is trying to achieve to come up with a series of recommendations and some advice. So that's very clearly an advice phase. It can take several hours um, and underlying my work is a sort of an hourly rate, but people can be quite uncomfortable with hourly rates. Mm. So what I try to do is package that as a fixed fee. Okay. So there's a fixed fee that says at the end of this work, where I have, I have understood everything I can about you and use my knowledge to come up with what I think is a, um, a set of recommendations for you to follow, at the end of that, you ought to be able to walk away and say, well, I've, I've got the advice that I've looked for and I've paid a fee. Yeah. The next stage for that, that I go through, is implementation. So you've told me I might have to invest money in an ISA or consolidate my pensions or do something different with my portfolio or invest some money, how do I physically take that advice and turn it into financial products, something that's going to work for me? Some people are very happy to do that on their own and there are some direct consumer platforms, people like Hargreaves Lansdowne, Best Invest, where you can do some of this work. But a lot of people want to leave that to their advisor. Mm. So there's an implementation fee. Okay. And then... Once you've done all that and it's all set up, um, the people that I work with invariably will want to work with me 
on a yearly, half yearly, quarterly basis, whatever that is, to keep checking in and making sure that the plan and the advice is being adjusted along the way for any changes, that's changes in personal circumstances, legislative changes, the economic changes, um, yeah, all kinds of things that can happen. But they are, for me, three distinct parts, and they do come with three distinct types of charge. Okay. And so do these charges um, depend on the amount of money I have or the amount of work that you're going to do or how complicated things are? How does that work? Well, I think different advisors and different firms have got a, a slightly different approaches to work. Certainly for me, that initial advice is based on time and complexity. Okay. Not about the amount of money necessarily. Mm. Well, no, not about the amount of money, except it has to be value for money. So if I've found something that's going to take me quite a long time, but there's a relatively small amount of money in play, maybe that's not, uh, you know, that I might be the wrong advisor for that, for that particular person. So, the, yeah, I would look at the, 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 the value of someone's portfolio, the, their estate, what it is they're trying to achieve, and, and to decide whether I'm going to be able to add value or whether I'm going to be too expensive. But there are some advisors that will charge a, a percentage of, of whatever you're worth. There are some advisors yeah, that will then I... say, um, well, I'm not charging you an explicit advice charge, but I will take 1%, 2 3% of however much money you invest and for me, that becomes a contingent charge. Unless you're investing money, that advisor's not going to get paid. And if that mm. advisor's not going to get paid, there's a conflict of interest there. I think the advice really needs to be separate yeah. from the implementation or the sale of a financial product. Yeah, because we've talked about um, the upfront work and the plan, which is very involved, um, the work that you do in that initial meeting. So... You know, there's data collection, there's there's further meetings. Um, Christian probably does some, our power planner does some cash flow modelling, some analysis and produces reports. Um, but that's what I wanted to ask you. You've touched on it already. Once I have all this information and you've given me my plan, why would I pay an ongoing fee? Well, you don't have to. Some people feel very comfortable managing their affairs and they are you know, very diligent at what they do and almost they can separate the emotion to some extent from what it is they're trying to achieve. But I meet a lot of people that are very fearful in a way yeah. of making financial decisions. It's easier to deal with somebody else's money than it is to deal with your own because we become emotionally attached mm. to our money and what money says about us and that fear of maybe getting it wrong. Yeah. Um, and when you're younger, perhaps, and you have less money, the consequences of making a mistake are not quite so great as maybe you're in your 40s and 50s. You know, that point of when you're going to stop work is now on the visible horizon. Yeah. Um, and if you make a mistake, there's less time to recover from it. So there's almost that double checking. I, I, there's kind of an air, aeroplane analogy here. Right. Um, and I don't know how well this analogy is going to work. But, you know, I could get you up into the air 
you know, I could, you know, in theory, I could say, here's how, here's how um, wings work, here's how flight works. Let's get you up in the air. I'll put my parachute on and I'll just leave the cockpit and off you go. Right. And if it's on autopilot and you're thinking, oh, I'm feeling pretty, I can do this. I'm pretty safe. Um, I haven't worked out how I'm going to land yet, but yeah, <laughs> but that's a long, long way in Quite the distance. Important. Yeah, um, but you know. What's going to happen along the way, though, when turbulence kicks in, there might be another problem that arrives. Um, the wind has come and moved you so far off, off course that mm. you, you don't quite know how to get back on. Working with an advisor is a bit like having somebody in the co-pilot or pilot seat. Yeah. And also, you know, some of these journeys are a long, long time. Do you want to be in the pilot seat or do you want to be back in the cabin? Um <laughs> Just making, sipping champagne. <laughs> exactly, making the most of, of, of your duty free or something. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No, that's a that's a really good analogy. And actually, there was another example that you were telling me about the other day with some people you're working with, who are in the retirement phase, um, and they were a bit panicky about what's happening with their money. You've given them a plan to take forward, and and. And I asked you why they would continue working with you um, because, in fact, they were in a situation where they were spending too much money um, and you've given them a plan that will show them how much they can spend. Why? But, and I asked you why they would sort of continue to work with you and you gave me a really good answer to that. It's almost they can't afford not to. Yeah. Um, in that... The first sign of trouble, mm. if they're invested, they're going to run for the hills. Yeah. Um, they're going to sell whatever they've got at exactly the wrong time because they're, like most of us, they're very focused on what's happening now. And we extrapolate on what's happening now. Um, so if there's a lot of good news happening, we'll extrapolate on that. Hey, look, the markets have maybe 20% last year. And if they make 20% every year, God, I'm going to be. This is going to be great. Yeah. Um, it doesn't work like that. Uh, similarly, if you know, if the, the moment you invest, things start going wrong, you'll curse the day that you took that advice and acted mm. on it. Um, you know, when I first started as a financial advisor, I, you know, going right back to the eighties now, and remember, was it Black Monday? And I'd I'd met somebody who had uh, just left. The Royal Navy with his lump sum. Um, mm. He wasn't ready to retire as such, but this lump sum was part of his long-term retirement plan. And I don't know how we'd met. I mean, that's that's a long, long time ago. But you know, uh, I'd encourage him to invest that money, with glibly saying, "Of course, you know what's going to happen. The moment you invest your money, the stock market's going to fall by thirty percent." And uh, and, uh, <laughs> and lo and behold, that's exactly what happened three <laughs> weeks later. Going back to Mystic Meg. Um, <laughs> But he hung on. Great. That's the good thing is that it, we'd had that honest conversation. He knew what he was doing. And this is at a time when you could get about 11% interest on your, on your deposit savings yeah. versus maybe a 3% dividend yield on your investments. It, uh, it wasn't looking great. But within that sort of decade that he had following, the value of, of interest that he got from his, uh, if he had put it on deposit, would have fallen from 11% to about 3%. Mm. And the capital value, you know, wouldn't have changed at all. Whereas we'd invested him in a relatively low risk fund, 
but the dividend yield was still maintaining about 3%. But instead of 3% on that original, call it 100,000, yeah. it was 3% on something that had grown to closer to 250,000. Okay. You know, a really good run on the stock market. Yeah. yeah. So I know that he, he benefited from that over that time. Had he been a nervous investor, hadn't he had somebody that was holding his hand through that really difficult time, he might have bailed out and yeah. sold at a loss. Yeah, and that's such an important story. Uh, that's what we keep talking about. Don't look over the next three to five years, look at the longer term. And, and, and I think that's what working with an advisor does initially, is that you're moving away from that three to five year viewpoint. You know, that, that, you know that's kind of the, the sort of future that we can envisage or begin mm. to hold and, and almost touch. Mm. But I'm working with people who may be using that money over the next 30 to 40 years yeah. in retirement. And that's stretching out that time frame and making decisions today that are going to last that 30 to 40 years, not decisions today that have only got to last three to five years. Yeah. Okay. So can you quantify it, Dennis? Can If I'm the sort of person and there are, you know, we meet people like this and I, I probably use this sort of concept in other areas of life but can you quantify it can you say to someone if you work with me you know I can give you it's going to be this amount of money or this figure um, you know compared to if you don't work with me I can't quantify it in pounds and pence right I think that's very difficult because everyone's situation everyone's time frame everyone's amount of money is different and Ultimately, they've got to follow that plan. Now, we were talking about that couple I was working with. Mm. Um, I've told them what I think they should do. I'm not entirely sure I'll be able to get them over the line. Okay. Just because of, I suppose, their fears, their their nerves about investing. Yeah. Um, and, and that would be a difficulty. But they feel that they've had value for money already because... Of, they hadn't, over all of that period of time, sat down and done budgeting and budget analysis. Mm. Um, and so I, I could demonstrate that if they were going to keep doing what they were doing, they would run out of money. Yeah. So sitting down and doing the analysis, they've already changed how they're spending their money. Not in an uncomfortable way, but kind of, you know, they'd received a windfall. And that windfall made them a bit more profligate than they used to mm. be. And we're saying well, that windfall isn't the be all and end all. It's, you know, it, it's a help, but it's not the panacea to all your financial problems. Mm. So they're kind of getting back to, to spending how they were. But they weren't doing that at the time. It was kind of, here's a sum of money. And, and, and I've seen it happen so many times. It was, it was being spent without thought. Yeah, we all do that. Um, all the time yeah so they found that very very useful because I think we've been able to nip that that spending pattern in the bud before yeah. it became habitual okay yeah well that seems like you say you know that's value for money although I it's a phrase that you know is probably against what you've just said to me but I don't think you do that exercise yourself or you don't do it very easily or perhaps you don't want to you need someone else to tell you yeah, a lot of people, we, we want to put our head in the sand, or there is something more important to do yeah. that day. Yeah. yeah, We allocate very little time collectively to, I suppose, planning and 
trying to understanding our money and what it's doing. And because we have a very short time frame that we kind of work within our own in our own mind, that getting somebody to help, somebody else to ask questions, the value for money I think is is really difficult. Mm. But it is about optimising. And, okay. and, and it's not all necessarily about saving you. We, we, I think on this podcast, we've talked about people where we've been able to encourage them to spend more. Yes, yeah. Um, you know, there's some value there. Or to perhaps give money away to children and grandchildren if they can afford to do that, to show them they can afford to do that, mm. and then to get the enjoyment. Mm. You don't get any enjoyment if if the money is being given away just as you're pushing up the daisies. You don't get to see any of that. No. So there are all kinds of ways in which that that value for money or working with advisor um, shows up. Yeah. It's not just about finding a cheaper product or uh, uh, investing in one fund versus another fund. That, you know, that I don't believe that's really where all the real value comes no. from. The real value comes from helping people understand what their money needs to do and then getting them to the point where they will make those choices. Okay. Um, so a, a question that I've been asked, and I think we've already covered it really a little bit, is just why are financial planners so expensive? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, first and foremost, they're running businesses. There are a lot of overheads. Um and I suppose you'll cut your cloth according to your means in a way. Um, yeah. where, you know, where do you want to, what sort of environment do you want to be working in? Do you want the advisor to come and see you? Do you want to go to nice offices? Do you want to be um, met in nice meeting rooms? So those are sort of infrastructure costs that are a part of every business. Mm. Um, so you can go to a small office with no frills and may you know some of the cost savings there or you can go to another office where they've got an atrium the size of Wembley or something yeah. um, you're going to be paying for that one way or another yeah so there's there's part of that there are also the costs of staff competent and quality staff yeah. they are not cheap um, the costs of getting uh, qualified and to what level are they qualified so you know I'm, I'm chartered but I don't have to be chartered to give advice. I could be, you know, I could be a, a, a. I don't have to be quite as qualified as I am. Um, same with my team. I want to. I'm trying to employ people who are competent and qualified. Yeah. And that also means giving them time during their during their working day to go and attend um, conferences and lectures. These things are, and to keep up to date. So that all costs money. You also want the data that you've got and that you're sharing with your advisor to be held in a secure way. So what you don't want them to be doing is putting on a laptop uh, that's not secure or it, it, and they're storing their documents in an unsecure way. So, so we're kind of paying money for that uh, IT infrastructure, the ability to be able to access that information the, the moment you call. Um, to be able to communicate with you in a professional manner. So, yeah, all of those infrastructure costs. And we've all got our own living costs. Yeah. Um, and it's going to cost you more if, you're advi- if your advisor's living and working in London than perhaps living and working uh, in Exeter like we are. <laughs> Sorry, little plug. But, um, but you know, that, but are they expensive? I don't know. I mean, I, 
Sorry, I don't want to interrupt you, but I, I always sort of bring up the legal profession when people talk to me about this and the charges that apply there and the outcomes from working with a lawyer, let's say, if you're selling a house. Yes, people say that the biggest purchase you make is your house. I would argue that the biggest purchase you're making is probably your pension, your retirement fund, yeah. those assets. You want to make sure that that's right. Um, you want to be avoiding some taxes along the way. So like an accountant, if you're using an accountant, you're probably paying them on an annual basis. You're not always paying your lawyer on an annual basis. That's probably more transactional. Although I do feel that a lot of people would be well served if they just knocked on their lawyer's door every year and say, can we just quickly review some of these things? Yeah. Uh, Because things do change. And and an advisor is always going to, you know, the government are tinkering all the time, sometimes more than tinkering with pensions, uh, ISA things change. You know, the work that we're doing at the beginning of every tax year to make sure we're moving money from a taxed environment, like sort of a general investment account, into an untaxed environment like an ISA account and making the most of their pensions. All of these things are going to enhance the the, the outcomes further down the line. Yeah. Um, So it's, yeah, spending a little bit of money. But then there's always that... They're managing my money and they're charging me for doing that as well. And yes. if the stock market hasn't made any money this year, but between them, the financial advisor, the fund managers have taken out one and a half percent of my money. They're making more money than I am. But, yeah. And that's very true on, uh, in, in a bad year. But I would argue that the money still needs managing yeah. one way or another, even if that's in a very simple tracker fund. Because you want to make sure it's your money allocated to you and it's not being frittered around somewhere. Yeah. And you make sure that you're not disinvesting at the wrong time. That's where your advice yeah. is keeping you on track. Absolutely. No, you've, you've argued a good point there. Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure I have. I've lost track of what I was no, saying. No, no, <laughs> no. We talked about what it costs to do our financial planning. But what's the cost to me of not doing my financial planning? You know, you could be lucky mm. and um, kind of make some good decisions and not do anything. That it, I don't know how true this is, and I think I mentioned this before, that, that Fidelity at you know, 20 or 30 years ago were doing some analysis of their funds, and they were saying that the best investors were those that were dead yeah. because they weren't <laughs> buying and selling things. They were just leaving the funds to, to you know, invest it and to grow. So there's... There's almost an argument there about, you know, maybe if I don't do something, that's a good thing. Yeah. And that's another point, actually, and I'm now going to go off, off, <laughs> off on a tangent. tangent yeah. Is that we are so used to seeing something happen as a result of paying fees mm. or charges. I want you to do something. It's In a way, I that's driven why people have been paying active fund managers and they want to see their stockbroker or their fund manager buying and selling and buying and selling, which, if you look at the the results, is suboptimal. Right. If my work, it takes me just as long to get to a position where I say, don't do anything, mm. as it is to say, do this. Mm. But people would value the do this more than they value the don't do anything. Yeah, yeah. But I need to be able to say, if it's the right thing to do, don't do anything. Yeah. And actually, that's what we talked about last week, was your your years of experience allow you to say, I've seen this situation before, 
And this is why I'm saying don't do anything. Yeah, and it's that, I suppose, a good working with a good financial advisor who is who deals with a lot of clients that might be like you, they are a repository of knowledge. They can very quickly get to the, the right solution for you. We used to have a puzzle that we would give people. Um, you or know, a fish? Was it a fish? It was a fish, but you know, like if you get those puzzles in a in a like a stocking villa, yeah, um, like a metal. But you know, they, they they look impossible to do. How am I going to remove all these pieces? And, yeah. Um, so we used to have this puzzle that I knew the answer to, um, and I could get this puzzle apart in about uh, less than a minute. Yeah. And the average time when I was giving it to people was about thirty minutes. And some people would never get it. No. And some people would do it in maybe ten. But my my question, or I suppose my statement to people, I gave them the puzzle and said, you could probably do this. You know, given enough time, you could get the right answer. But if it cost you money for every wrong attempt that you made, how much was it? How much would it have cost you? Mm-hmm. Because I've been through all of the process of working this out. I can do it in 30, 30 seconds, a minute, yeah. um, because I've made all of those mistakes before in my time. So I can get you there quicker. Yeah. Um, without loss. Okay. But there is a cost. Yeah. And essentially, yeah, I'm, a, I'm just a, a, a guy who does puzzles. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I've seen your word all Financial Twitter. puzzles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, and financial ones. Um, okay, well, uh, I think that probably covers off some of the kind of arguments that people might have against paying for financial advice. It's really, really difficult. Um, and you know, I've I, I've been doing this for a while. When I first started giving financial advice, it was it was all commission based, kind of hidden, yeah. And, and so it was contingent. You until you'd bought something, that advisor wasn't getting paid, mm. me included. Mm. But you weren't being paid by not directly by the investor. You're being paid by the company whose product you'd sold. So, but back in 2006, when I set up Yellowtail, I decided we weren't going to go down that route. We wanted to be fee only. Yeah. And the challenges that we had talking to people about the costs of my advice versus the cost of the investment product they might buy from the advisor down the road. Mm. And hugely intelligent people would come through the door and I'd say, well, the cost of doing this work is going to be two, three thousand pounds. And they would look at me askance and think, but the guy down the road is going to do this for free. Yeah. And uh, you know, and let, you know, let's just put, pull some numbers out of the air. A hundred thousand investment that I might have wanted to charge to give a fully rounded financial plan might have been two or three thousand pounds. Yeah. Not just the investment. Let me give you a fully rounded financial plan. Mm. Go down the road. You invest that hundred thousand on a three percent commission rate. That's three thousand mm. pounds. You've had no advice other than to invest the money. Yeah. If you'd gone into an insurance bond, and they used to be very popular, they might have charged you five or six percent, five or six thousand of your money. Mm. You don't see it going out, but it's coming out in higher annual management charges. Yeah. But the mindset of people is that they would rather the invisible cost yeah. than the very visible cost yeah. of, of mine. It was very, very slow start. Yeah. And also for the for the annual fees that we were charging, I would I would ask my clients at that time to set up a direct debit to pay me. Yeah. And it didn't take very long for them to come back and say, 
I get the value in all of this, but it's just too painful, Dennis, <laughs> to see this coming out of my bank account right. when it comes out. I mean, I had, I took a client with me from from a previous firm to this one who'd had, it's a lot of money, about five million invested at a half percent. That's generally was the the, the sort of the ongoing trail commission that would have been paid. So yeah. about 25,000 a year to the firm. And he really liked working with me. He said, well, if you're setting up on your own, Dennis, I want you to, I want to come with you. I said, yeah, but the rules are we don't take commission. Right. And actually the work I'm doing for you isn't 25,000 pounds a year just for, for that. I think I need for the work that I think we're going to do. Why don't you just pay me a thousand pounds a month? Right. It's 12,000, half your fees. He said, oh, I don't like the idea of that. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, I don't like the idea of taking 25,000 in, in trail. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you what, it's a big ask. I will, let's just agree with a fund management company that we will rebate the excess of that trail commission yeah. into the fund and I'll just get that £1,000 a month or £3,000 a okay. quarter coming out. Yeah. I said, I like the idea of that. I said, okay. but next year we've got to have the conversation because... I mean, I'm not taking on any other clients without them paying me physically. Yeah. Um, and my rationale for that is I wanted people to, to question what they were paying for me yeah. so that they would engage in the work and in the process. Yeah. Until they, I mean, almost all of them eventually said, no, it's too painful. Can you just take it out of our, just take it out right. of our investments? But yeah. we agree what it is. It's, a, it's an actual fee, not a commission. Okay. But we came back the next year and he said, um, yeah, let's have that conversation again. I said, um, okay, so we want to turn off the commission. You just got to pay me. Yeah. He said, I'm not doing it. <laughs> well, I said, well, it's I'm painful. not changing my mind. Right. <laughs> because I've got, you know, there's a principle. I set this business up to be yeah. fee only, not, yeah. not, not commission based. And he said, well, I'd rather pay somebody half percent commission and not see it. Right. Than pay you half price but see it coming out of my bank account. Okay. Which was a huge and painful and expensive lesson for me. Right. About the, I suppose, the irrationality of paying for stuff. Yeah. But you stuck to your principles. I, I did. Mm. But I tried to make it easy for people to do business with me. Yeah. Um, so they don't have to write out checks if they don't want to. Right. Okay. Actually, who takes checks anymore? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where my checkbook even is. <laughs> um, but for me, it's so much cleaner. Yeah. But it is a, a more difficult conversation when you're talking about pounds and pence rather than percentages. Yeah. You know, when a lot of charges are expressed as percentages. They're supposed to be delivered as a pound, you know, as a, a physical cash amount mm. so that you can understand what it is you're paying. But somehow a lot of people can't get their head around a percent. Yeah, yeah. I just, as you say, it's much clearer to see the figures rather than the percentage. I think there's a greater degree of transparency and there's something about hiding the cost in a percentage. Yeah, yeah. It sounds quite low if you say half a percent, but... You and know. lots of different percentage figures. A percentage mm. figure for that, a percentage figure that, mm. and £25 for that trading fee. Or what, you know, And all of these, as you were talking earlier, all these fees that you see... Yeah. Um, until you add them all up and then and put them as a cost, yeah, you don't know what they are. No, exactly. But then to get to your other point, is it's not cheap. Getting quality advice is not cheap. No, it's, that doesn't mean to say it's expensive. No, but it's yeah, you're paying for a lot of experience. You're paying for a lot of regulatory control. You're paying for 
I suppose the ongoing development that the people that are advising you are going to remain in business and they're competent and they're qualified and they're investing in their staff. Yeah. Um, all of that stuff is going to pay dividends because if you're building a relationship with a person or a firm, you want them to be there, particularly when you need them to be there because things go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I think we need to make this podcast video rather than just audio because you've been in much more animated. Oh, oh, <laughs> Arms everywhere this yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we'll think about that. No, no, no. No, don't think too hard. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, great. I think that covers, um, as I say, that answers a lot of those questions. Uh, but if anyone has any more, then please do get in touch and, and just let us know what you think. We'd, we'd love to hear back and to hear if there's any yeah. particular points I'd you want to us to cover. You do like to be challenged. I like to yeah. be challenged. Yeah. Because yeah. sometimes I change my mind. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so thanks to everyone for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye.